a powerful reading. Before I go into the sermon, I want to mention just one other thing. And uh, that is, uh, many of you, some of you, anyone over the age of 75, anyone who is 65 and older with underlying health conditions, um, you are eligible for the vaccine. If you are having difficulty, if you've been trying to get online to get that, and you're having difficulty, please let us know here at the church. We have people who have offered to help, and uh, they can help you um, uh, get a, an appointment for the vaccine. So just a quick reminder uh, for those of you who may need any assistance. Now, today's reading is a powerful reading because Jesus is doing some amazing things in the synagogue, at Simon's home with his mother-in-law and with the whole village that comes and gathers around their doors um, that evening. And yet there is one verse in this reading that every commentary that I have ever looked at has never addressed. It's such an obscure verse, kind of an add-on verse, that for many of our enlightened eyes, we maybe have thought, that's eh, pretty useless. There's no need to spend a lot of pen time working on that particular verse. But I think in the day of Jesus, this one little obscure verse was probably more important to them than we could even realize today. Yes, leave it to me to pick it out and build a whole sermon around it. That's what we're going to do this morning. The verse that I'm looking at is verse 31 in Mark chapter 1. If you have your Bibles open, let's read that together. So he went to her bedside, Simon's, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, so he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and had helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. The part that never gets addressed is she prepared a meal for them. There's a Greek word that is used here, diakone. It's a verb form of the noun diakonia where we get our word for deacon, there's uh, two orders of ministry in our church. There's an order of, of word and sacrament ordained ministers, uh, which I am. And then there's a, a, a roster of deacons who are um, installed in relationship to word and service. Um, so service is the translation for this word diakonia. Um, and then the verb diakonia is to serve. So what this scripture is telling us is that this mother-in-law of Peter, yes, he was married, the mother-in-law got up after she was miraculously healed and she began to serve Jesus and his disciples. She began to wait on them. She prepared a meal for them. Now, Mark also uses this word when he describes Jesus out in the wilderness a little bit earlier in Mark chapter 1 in verse 13. Let's take a look at what it says there. I'm going to start at verse 12 because it's 
very brief wilderness story in Mark. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and the angels waited on him. The angels served him. The angels took care of him. Some different ways that Bibles have translated that word. It's the same word, diakone, to serve. What this word tells us is that Jesus and these people, the disciples, uh, the mother-in-law, the people gathered in the house, they had a relationship. And that relationship was personal. When Simon's mother-in-law is ill, Jesus goes to the house and he heals her immediately. And she immediately gets up, it says, and serves him. God serves us and we serve God. That's the literal translation of worship. They are eating together. This small cadre of people Family, friends, neighbors, people who are close to these people, these disciples, and now to Jesus. They are eating together because that's what they do. In times of celebration, the mother-in-law's miraculous healing, and they also eat together during the most difficult times, times of loss and grief. Eating is an important function of our relationships with one another. And it's probably one of the things that I miss most in terms of this, the impact of this virus. So who do you like to eat with? Who serves you a meal? And why do you like to hang out with them? My guess is that it is not so much because of the food, although you may have some good cooks in your family, but my guess is that it has more to do with the relationships, that you just enjoy being with these people and therefore eating with these people. But what if those relationships are severed? What if they are broken apart by the realities of our everyday lives? You know, a couple years ago, I was hearing about families that were breaking into fights at Thanksgiving over the politics of our nation. That was two years ago, three years ago. Now, you would think that that has been settled, but no, it's still happening. And <clears throat> not only that, but we are also seeing more and more families separating uh, because of uh, this broken relationships from the virus. Many of you will not be gathering today for an extended family indoor Super Bowl party because of this virus. Yet today, we, the church, we will gather for a holy meal even through this virtual means of Facebook Live, a really bad option amongst bad options. But we will still gather today for this meal.
We eat together because we have a bond of love for one another. That's who we are as Christians. We love one another. And it's been hard during this pandemic to try to keep connected with one another. When we are not gathering here physically, it is especially difficult. And so we have to continue to work at reaching out with one another. But this is not the first time that the people of God have been separated. It's not the first time the people of God have had some disagreements. It is not the first time that relationships have broken and so that people don't eat together anymore. The ability to gather for a meal is healing, it is soothing, it is a comfort. And when we can't, there is a disruption. And sometimes the disruptions cause us to think that we can never be together again. But that's not the case. You see, this fight over whether we should eat together or not, whether we should gather or not, this fight is as old as the Israelites. In Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 11, just one year after being freed from slavery in Egypt, one year later, some of the people began to complain about their hardship. Now, it was one, according to Exodus, it was after one month of wandering into the wilderness that they began to receive this miraculous gift of food called manna, manna from heaven, bread from heaven. So they have been eating this now for nearly a year. But some of the people began to crave the delicacies of Egypt. They complained, oh, remember what we used to eat in Egypt? Oh, for some meat to eat. All we've had is this, this terrible bread, this manna that God provides every morning from heaven. Remember the fish we used to eat? And it was free. And the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlics. Remember all that? Well, manna had been a miracle for them because they had none of the other food in this wilderness. But even miracles can apparently become monotonous. Even manna, a gift from God, can become a mundane gift. The people were angry. They were angry with God. They were angry with Moses and angry with Aaron. They were angry with each other. They were stirring things up. And that anger was overflowing. The people became divided. Some wanted to keep going, but some wanted to go back to Egypt. They were even willing to go back and become slaves once again in order to get some of that fish. They were willing to sacrifice their freedom for slavery. Life is a struggle. We are often tempted to go back to the broken things of our past because they're familiar. 
and perhaps they are more comfortable than the challenge of the change that we are working on. Sometimes it's just easier to want to go back to bondage. My dad had a friend named Donnie. Donnie was a painter who had a problem. His problem was that he suffered from alcoholism, a severe disease that attacked his body his whole life. Donnie was a dear friend of my dad's, and whenever Donnie became sober and went back to AA, my dad would always try to find work for him. The whole community would try to find work for him. Donnie was married. He had a wife, and they were active members of our church. And I, I can remember many times when Dad would share that Donnie was sick again, that he'd fallen off the wagon, and that we needed to pray for him. And one of the things that happened over the years was that some of the community finally got tired of trying to help Donnie. They said, well, you know, we've helped him enough. It's time for him to stand on his own two legs. If he wants to be a drunk all of his life, then just let him be a drunk. And so the town kind of got divided over what to do about Donnie. Why do we keep helping him? Won't he, he won't even help himself. Just let him be. He's made his own bed. You know, it's easy to get divided around bondage. Slavery does that to us. When we're enslaved to the world, we cannot see the truth of God's freedom. The illness not only impacts the one who suffers, but it impacts their whole family. And I would argue that it impacts the whole community. We all suffer when one suffers. So how do we keep united during times like these? What prevents us from wanting to go back to Egypt? Like God gave the Israelites manna and quail to eat, these two things, they got manna every morning, enough for each day, and at night the quail would come into the camp and so they would have meat to eat. So God gives us two kinds of food to eat. The first kind that God gives us to eat is what I would like to call comfort food. A little bit later on in Mark's gospel in chapter 10, there's a story of blind Bartimaeus. I like to call him by his nickname, Bibi, blind Bartimaeus. Bibi cries out to Jesus, hey, have mercy on me. And Jesus listens. He hears Bibi. And he does something amazing. He not only gives Bibi the mercy that he calls for, but he gives him back his eyesight. Amazing. Not because of anything that Bibi did. He gets mercy and his sight just because Jesus is who he is. Because God is who God is. God can be nothing other than the God who brings freedom to the broken. 
Sometimes comfort food is just the right thing. When you're not feeling so well, when it's cold out, Patty and I have some of our favorite comfort foods, cheeseburgers and fries. Anybody interested? How about some pizza? <laughs> or some gooey, cheesy enchiladas. You know, as a matter of fact, you can get these foods at some of our favorite chain restaurants. In and Out Burger for the cheeseburgers. You know, we're advocates for Lou Malnati's pizza. We, uh, we also love Ajo L's. They make the gooeyest, cheesiest enchiladas. So comfort food is, is good. I mean, there are some times in our lives when we need some comfort food. But sometimes these comfort foods from these chain restaurants can become chains around us. Chains of bondage. What do they say? Too much of a good thing is a bad thing? So alongside of the comfort food, God gives us challenge food. Food like lentils, black beans, sweet potatoes, and greens, lots of greens. Oh yeah, those are challenge foods. Yes, even the leeks and the on onions and the garlic can be challenge foods. And fish, and oh, lots and lots of fish. But no red meat. Now, I grew up in Iowa. In fact, when I served a church in Des Moines, my office was just, the church was just down the road from the National Pork Producers Association, you know, the organization in charge of all the pork producers. And they had this advertisement. Pork, you know, is, is a good healthy meat to choose. It's, chicken's not only the, the only white meat anymore. Now you can also get white meat from pork. <laughs> I don't know if there's any science behind that, but it was a catchy ad. It made me think, well, I'm eating healthfully when I'm eating pork. But what the challenge food tells us is that sometimes we need to stop eating things. We need to stop rationalizing foods. We need to stop planning our lives around comfort food. Challenge food tells us that there's a different way to live one's life. The different way is the way that Simon, Andrew, James, John, Simon's mother-in-law, Simon's wife, all those that were gathered in that house to live the way that they were living with Jesus at the center of their lives. That's why Jesus said to his disciples and to us in the scriptures, but among you it will be different. Yeah, you'll get some comfort food, don't worry but you're also going to get some challenge food. Among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Diakoni. Remember that Greek word that we talked about earlier? And whoever wants to be among you, uh, first among you, must be the servant, diakonia, of all. 
This is challenge food. This is the food that Jesus gives us to eat in addition to the comfort food. But there's more, just like those commercials on television. Let's go back to the gospel from this morning. That word diakonia is also used at the end of Mark's gospel. At the cross, when Jesus has been crucified, when he is suspended from the cross, when he's hanging there, when he is dying, when he's breathing his last breath, this is what it says in chapter 15, verse 41 of Mark's gospel. At the cross, when Jesus is crucified, only the women are left with him hanging on the cr- while he is hanging on the cross. And this is the, the verse now. Some of the women who were there had served him in Galilee. Some of the women who were still there, remember the disciples are all gone, so it's just some women that are left. And some of those women had served diakonia, him, in Galilee. Isn't it just like God to serve us? Isn't it amazing how much God serves us? And he serves us with comfort food and with challenge food. But mostly, he serves us with his love. Jesus who had been served by these women in Galilee is now serving them by dying for them on the cross. In their grief, in their tears, in their laments, in their cries, these women remember that there is one who loves them more than any chains that they are still attached to. Not only these women, but for all of us. In your grief, in your tears, in your frustrations, in your anger, even in your hatred for others, remember that there is one who loves you more than any chain that you are still attached to. To those who suffer from the chains, like the chains of addiction, Jesus is serving you on the cross. Like the prodigal son, the Father loves you. And to those who are angry with people who go back to their familiar chains, Jesus is serving you on the cross too. Like the older brother in the prodigal story, the Father loves you too. The final use of this word, diakonia, for serving that I want to bring up today in Mark's gospel is found in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, which I think captures the whole point of the message for today. This is what it says, 1045. For even the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the testimony to the power of Jesus. The power that the family had been talking about in the house when he healed 
Simon's mother-in-law, the power that they had been talking about from healing the man in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Jesus has prepared to serve you again this morning in this meal which he has prepared for us. This is his body. This is his blood in which we will partake. This is his body and his blood which binds us together as fellow servants of the one true God who first came to serve us. Come and eat. Come to the table. Come, for the servant has prepared all things for you. Amen.